All right. Scripture reading comes from Psalm 7 today. It says a Shigion. I said that right, Amari? Shigion? Okay. Of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it to pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. O righteous God, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared uh, for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Omari Hill. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central Church. Um, <laughs> Amen. Amen. That was fun. <laughs> uh, so, last summer, took my family, um, my family and I, we all went to the Holy Land. I'm not talking about Jerusalem, I'm talking about Disney World. We went to Disney World. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, so, we, so, we get there. This was uh, my first time going to Disney World. Right? And, and, you know, was, and since I was a child, I had all these different dreams about Disney World. What would it look like once I got there? And from the commercials, you see Mickey Mouse jumping around, and the kids are jumping over Mickey Mouse and giving hugs and that sort of deal. And then Minnie Mouse shows up, and you get hugs from Minnie and Donald and all the different characters. 
Well, apparently now, at Disney World, the different characters have bodyguards. So if you try to hug one of the characters, you got people standing by, like, you know, they're making sure that you don't just jump up on them and hug them, all right? And then, on top of that, if you really want to get close to some of the characters, you've got to get on a fast lane or something like that so that you can go into a certain room and, and meet, like, the princesses and meet the different characters. And I'm thinking, what, what is this? So this is my first experience when I get to Disney World. And it's supposed to be called Magic Kingdom, and it lacked the magic because we weren't able to connect with the different characters. And on top of that, it's a, you know, I'd never been to Orlando before, so it's like hot as somebody's armpit. It's terrible. And, um, you know, those of you from Florida, I'm sorry, but Orlando is just, it's just hot. And so, so I get there, and human, man, what? So, so we get to Disney World with Magic Kingdom, kids running around. We're trying to keep track of all these children. We had a ton of kids with us, and it wasn't just my children. And we're trying to keep track of everybody. And then on top of that, there's just thousands, hundreds of people there. I didn't realize just how much revenue you know, goes, flows through that place every single day. So there's just thousands of people there. And I'm from New York City, OK? I can handle Times Square and all that kind of stuff. But Disney World was just a different level. So, so, so I'm there with my kids. And I'm like, but this is, <laughs> where's the magic? Because I feel really hot and sticky. And I can't find Mickey Mouse. I, I didn't see Mickey Mouse until the end of the day when the sun finally went down. He comes out and doo -doo 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 -doo, and they had um, uh, like the, the little parade thing on Main Street, whatever. Some of those of you have been there and the different lights. And I'm like, oh, there's Mickey. So I'm like trying to get pictures of him and I hope that I don't get tackled by security or something like that. And, and, and um, so the, you know, the rest of the day is just gone. I didn't even make it to Tomorrowland where you had all the other, other stuff like Space Mountain. Who goes to Disney World and doesn't go to Space Mountain? Me. No Space Mountain for me. So anyway, so the magic was gone. But the, you know, thank God that um, I did get a chance to go to Universal Studios, so that was great. Um, but then later on, we went to Animal Kingdom. Now, the reason why I mention this is because I loved Animal Kingdom, OK? And, and I'm going somewhere with this story. Um, Animal Kingdom was beautiful because once you got there, you didn't have and, and not to take away from Magic Kingdom, I think I'd want to go back just under different circumstances. But, but, but in Animal Kingdom, it's like, you know, it, did, it didn't have like all the, like the big castles and things like that. But when you walk in and, you know, as a preacher, I'm like, the first thing you see is the tree of life. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, you know, the tree of life. That'll preach. And then, so you walk in and, you know, all that stuff is there and, and the music is playing. And, and the first part that you hit is like, uh, uh, I think it's Africa, so you come in and the drums are playing. And you know, if you're from my people group, you connect with the drums. So when you hear, when you hear that drum playing, you're like, oh yeah, now we're in that, all right, this is good. And so the, the drums are playing and you hear the music and then boom, 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 da, 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 da. And I'm like, all right, okay, I like this. I like this, this is my kind of Disney world. And so everybody's having a good time. And, but then on top of that, right, it's Animal Kingdom. So there are different, there are parrots and different kinds of birds flying around. And you just feel this deep connection to something that's real, right? There's this deep connection to, to the world around us. And it gives you a new appreciation for the place that God has made for us, which is the earth. And you're looking around and you see how people are taking care of the place. And there are scientists there who have like a wildlife conservation society. And, and so I'm like, I'm talking to different scientists who are doing things with the animals and just hearing how they take care of the animals and um, taking responsibility for our planet. And, and, and I'm thinking, this is the way that we're supposed to live. This is what it means to be human, right? To learn 
um, how to, to take care of others and to take care of the place in which we dwell. And at, at Animal Kingdom, I was getting a picture of this. So good job, Disney, for Animal Kingdom, right? And the reason why I mention this is because um, what I saw at Animal Kingdom is at the core of what it means to be a human being, which is to be able to not only um, care for people, other people, and care for the place in which we dwell, but to also do so in a way in, in which we are using our gifts and our personality to bring forth the potential of that place. To use our gifts and our personality to not just exalt ourselves, but to exalt and promote others above ourselves. That's what we're called to do as human beings. Right? It's, not, uh, it's, it's actually what, as you read the scriptures, you see this is what God is calling us to. It's how he calls us to live. It's not where... We're, we're, we're not just you know, trying to figure out um, the, the latest iteration of how to be our best selves. You know, do we infuse ourselves with machines and you know, artificial intelligence and all that sort of thing? Is the next you know, step of our evolution, is it becoming like androids and all that kind of stuff? But no, God has a plan and a design for what it means for us to be human beings. And uh, we are called through Christ to be free to live into that. In the wilderness of life, however, like animal kingdom, we face dehumanizing pressures. Things that keep us from being human. As people say, it's a jungle out there. And so the Psalms, this Psalm that we have heard read to us this morning speaks of a lion that chases us and keeps us from being human. It chases us and it keeps us from, from answering the call that God has, has placed upon each and every single one of us here in this room. And that line is, it's, it's not Disney, right? It's not Simba. But the line is criticism. The line is criticism. It's slander. And there's something about the fear of criticism that keeps us from a joy-filled and self-giving life. Now, back in the, back in the 80s, you, you might remember, those of you who kids back in the 80s or older, you remember that at schools, the whole thing used to be about drug-free zones. Right, you see signs put out all over the place, and I just took my kids to see their school last week, and the new thing now is no bully zone. Right, used to be drug free, now it's no bully zone, and people used to say sticks and stones may break my bones, or words will never hurt me, but it turns out that's not true. Words actually do hurt us, and they not only hurt us, but they hurt entire communities, and I'm going to get into that. But so sticks and stones are that that, that are in the form of words coming through as slander and criticism. These kinds of things won't just go away. So what do we do in the face of these things? Is there a way for us to become deeply human rather than be deformed in the presence of slander? But David himself in this psalm describes himself as a victim of slander. And he was wrongly criticized and it put him into a place of deep insecurity. But by the end of the psalm, you see that uh, from his heart, that he's, uh, his heart has been expanded to not only love others, but also um, to move into a, a place of worshipful gratitude to God. So the question is, how can we get there? How can we get to the same place that David gets to in this psalm? And my suggestion to you and I this morning is that we hide. Now, that might seem counterintuitive, right? How are we supposed to engage the world and care for it if we're hiding? I'll explain that. We can be delivered 
from the fear of criticism and set free to be a people who care for people and place around us by hiding in the Lord, hiding in him as our refuge and as our ruler. Hiding in God as our refuge and as our ruler. Look again at verse 1. He says in this song, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. And then in verse 12, he says, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword he has bent and ready his bow. Okay, so these are these gives us an, an idea that God is someone in whom we can take refuge. And then I like in the, um, the, the New International Revised Version, which is usually a lot of children's Bibles are in that. Um, it says when it describes, when David describes how he's hiding in the Lord, he says, I go to you for safety. Right? I go to the Lord for safety. Now, we don't know much about um, David's situation here. And most of the Psalms don't give us that. Like most of the Psalms and the scriptures, you're not going to get a whole lot of context. And I think there's a good reason for that. It's so that it's easier for us to place ourselves into the situation, right? So you might be like, oh, you know, hey, I didn't go through that. You know, I'm not a king on that sort of deal, or I didn't live in ancient Israel, but, you know, I can see myself in this situation. But it's likely that this particular psalm was written by David during his early days of, reign, of his reign. So he wasn't quite yet like the worldwide legend. People didn't really know his name around the ancient Near East just yet. Right? So he hadn't risen to that place. But his throne had just been given to him by the Lord. Right? And it was stripped away from the king who came before him, which was Saul. And if you remember what happened between Saul and David, Saul had attempted to take David's life several times. Right, so that David wouldn't, uh, wouldn't take over. And Saul wanted the, the kingly line to pass down to his children and his children's children. Right? He wanted to keep the legacy within his family. But at some point, Saul died. And then David immediately embraced the call that God had placed upon him to be the king of Judah and Israel. And right after he embraced this call, his tribe, the tribe of Judah, embraced him. And they immediately began to celebrate him and get in line with um, what God was calling him to do. But the other Hebrew tribes were, had to, you know, they had to be coaxed a little bit. They came along a little slowly to become to celebrate David and accept him as their king. Now, David's job was to provide for the safety of his people and also administer justice. That was his job, provide safety and administer justice in such a way that all the peoples of Israel, all of them, not some, all of them, would flourish to the glory of God. And then he was to dedicate himself to those people and to that place to bring forth their potential. The people needed to be able to trust in their king. Do you see David's call? His call as a king was basically to be a representative of what it means to be a human being. He was supposed to model how others should live in the land. And so they needed a king, God's people needed a king in whom they could trust. Now, some of them have favored Saul, right, who came before him, especially those who came from his tribe. What was the name of his tribe? Maybe you guessed it. It's right here in the liner notes of the song. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. You see? See, how do you, how do you sabotage a new leader? How do, you, how, do you, how do you mess up their stuff, you know, right as they take their, right as they take their seat? of authority, 
you start throwing out some lies, spread some lies, some, some slander, some so-called fake news, right? Throw that stuff out there, and you can sabotage a leader. And so apparently this guy named Kush was doing some mudslinging. He, he, he set off on a campaign to kind of tear down David as he had taken his new position as the rightful king to God's people. And so the, the lies were regarding his integrity. And it could cost David his job, right? Because David, as a king, was somebody that the people need to be able to trust. And so if you go after his character, then people don't begin to trust him and he can lose his job. And if the king loses his job, that ultimately hurts the people. Now David knows that whatever was said about him was not true. Verse 3, he says, O Lord my God, if I, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. So David, David's own plight here, it resonates with a lot of us, doesn't it? Ever have a relationship or job opportunity or a project that gets taken away from you because of slander, right? Because of false words, lies. It's discouraging and it's painful. How do you get over it? And how do you get over it in such a way in which you're not deformed and, and you don't try to return evil for evil? And sometimes the criticism is so bad, we take vows. We vow never again. Never again will I make a presentation. Never again will I manage a project, or never again will I go on that audition, or will I put my writings and my paintings and my music out there. Never again will I pursue an authentic friendship. Never again will I let this person in. Never again will I date somebody in the church. Never again. And the list goes on and on and on and on. What's your never again? Have you been numbed? What are the vows that you have taken? And taking such vows, it grieves the Lord. He weeps for you. He weeps for us. Because in those moments, we are tempted to surrender our call to actually feel the world as God feels it and to exalt it by bringing forth its potential. You see what's going on there? That crippled by the fear of criticism and, and slander, we nearly give up on our unique role in this world. So David was certainly tempted. He was certainly, he, he was tempted, right? You, you read his words and you get the idea that, it, you know, he wasn't just like the perfect Christian or something. You know, he faces slander and he's like, oh, I'm just going to trust in the Lord. No, he, he's, he's, he's expressing Right, his fears, and he's going, to, he's going to God with them. So David was certainly tempted, tempted, but he had to remain king. He couldn't just give up. He had to remain king and become better. But how does he do it? He runs to the Lord, and he says, oh, Lord, my God. Don't miss this, though, because he, he uses that possessive adjective, if you will. He says, my God. His confidence is that he belongs to the Lord and that the Lord belongs to him. And in that, he, he expresses the, the instinct of a child, like when a child just cries out, Mama, right, I need you. He's, David has the same instinct. He believes that the Lord is his God and that God will fight for his cause. Can we believe that today? That God will fight for our cause. If God is your God, 
then he is committed to being your refuge. Attacked by the fear of criticism, we can run to him. When we have experienced the act of, of bullying, when others have, have said false things against us and against those we love, we can run to God instead of, being, instead of succumbing to the fear of criticism. Now, here, here's a deeper issue. Because slander will always be a reality in a broken world, correct? It's always going to be a reality in a broken world. As people, as people always say, you know, hate is going to hate. Right? It's, in, it's in the nature of our world. We just know it's going to happen. But some of us are deeply afraid of becoming truly alive to the lives that we have been given as a gift from the Lord because of the fear of criticism in general. We just can't get out of our beds sometimes because we're afraid of what people will say about us. And now here are the deeper questions that come up sometimes. How will people remember me? I mean, how many of you have gone to work every single day and, or after like a week or a month or as a performance review is about to come and you're thinking, how will people remember me? Or the other question, whether you're a believer or not, what will God say about my life? Those are the kinds of questions that keep us up at night if we're honest, right? And these kinds of things, they, they make you sweat. <laughs> I mean, they just... I mean, it causes so much anxiety. Instead of being motivated by love and what we do in our relationships and in our work, and, and instead of uh, uh, putting ourselves out there with a courageous investment right, in the lives of others in the place in which we dwell, we succumb to anxiety and the fear of criticism. Maybe you struggle with believing that you actually belong to God. Because it could have been something that happened in your life. Maybe, you know, somebody told you when you were a college student or, or a child or later on in life that, you know, God just had this wonderful plan for your life. And you just thought, yeah, you know, it's going to be awesome. I become a Christian. It's going to be great. And God's going to have this wonderful, wonderful plan. But then God fell through. Those plans didn't quite work out. Right? So then you wonder, is God really for you? Is God really for me? Right? How am I supposed to stand up to criticism, the criticism that comes from others around me and that comes from the structures of this world if I'm not sure of what God thinks of me? What am I supposed to do? Maybe you're never again is never again will I trust in the Lord. Maybe you've, maybe you've kept your, your spiritual resume in shape. Right? You, you did your best. You, know, you, you went to Bible study. You did your devotions, all that kind of deal. You paid your tithes, you know, give, give to others who have need and that sort of thing. And you thought, as long as I keep this thing tight, God's going to bless me. And then the good things didn't come. What do you do with that? And then in the midst of that, deep down, you know that you, have, you truly have nothing within yourself to commend yourself to God so that you can get the blessings that you desire in life. So then the idea of an infinite and personal deity who is also a judge, not only of this world, but also our very lives, disturbs you. And we'll look here again at what, you know, I read this again, but, uh, you know, David does this. David goes to, goes to the Lord in verse 3. He says, oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. 
Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Right? What's David doing there? He lays his entire record of his life before the Lord. Right? He says, if I've truly done these things that Cush or others are saying about me, then just take away my livelihood. And that's pretty bold. I don't know if I could pray that one. Right? I just, uh, look, just take away my livelihood. But why? Why is he able to say this? Because David understands that what matters most is not what he has, but what matters most is his relationship to God. What matters most is belonging to him. So then you, if you belong to the Lord, then you can go out into the world as an entrepreneur and fail because of web of lies that have been weaved against you and know that God as your parent cannot and will not disown you. You can always go home. Which is our refuge? Our achievements or God? Which one? We have to search down deep sometimes, look at our own hearts to, to truly answer that question. Whether your achievements or your, your ambitions are, are filled with self-interest or not, the removal of these things cannot destroy who you are if you don't belong to those things, but you belong to God. Now, David remembered who he belonged to. He took this down into his own soul, and it transformed him so that he's able to speak in this way to the Lord and speak in, with such confidence. That David had been delivered from the fear of criticism by hiding in God as his refuge. Okay, so that's our first point. He hid in the Lord as his refuge. Now, it's nice to have a divine father who will never disown you. It's wonderful to have a God who will uphold your character in the heat of slander. That's very personal, right? To have God as your refuge and to know that, okay, when, you know, things that happen on a personal level, I mean, to, to me, as an individual, I have the Father. I can turn to him. But what about the system? What about the structures of slander that exist in society? For slander and its consequences still thrive, do they not? Will our Heavenly Father do anything about that? So God, and in this psalm, also shows us that we can hide in him as our ruler. We can hide in God as our ruler. Now, we remember that David was no perfect man, right? He's called to be the king, but remember Bathsheba, okay? He knows that he's innocent of these particular charges, but there are other things that he was certainly guilty of. And fear, fear in this psalm is not the only emotion that's present, but there's anger there. There's anger over the cost of these false accusations. Look again at verse 6. He says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. So David knows that God is a just God, and that he will one day turn our world right side up, as it says, like in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And when he does, some people will be shaken up and fall right off, and some systems will fall under the new gravity of God's glorious future. But God doesn't ignore the present and only focus on what's to come. As David says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. 
Did you hear what he says there? God feels indignation every day. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for the wicked his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. And some of us are fed up with the system. Where's the fire already, we're saying? Where are those fiery shafts? Where are the arrows, oh God? We know that slander damages not only individuals, but entire communities. When whole communities or people groups are redlined as an unworthy investment, when they are perpetually blacklisted generation after generation, where's the fire already? When children and their children's children are locked under a stigma that they never earn, no longer able to conceive of themselves as human beings, being endowed with assets that deserve to be called out to bring forth the potential of God's good world. When dreaming of being a sociologist or a professor or a sculptor or a curator means being afraid of being called too bougie or so-called too white or too uppity. When hoop dreams and stock car racing and bootleg DVDs and fruit carts are all that you have left because years ago, Somebody slandered your community with a red line and said you are unnecessary or at best marginal, marginal to the economic system of human flourishing. Where is the fire already? We need not fear because David says the Lord is El Elyon. El Elyon, God the Most High, the one who is supreme who reigns supreme over all rulers and authorities and principalities of this world and in the unseen world. See, so slander. This criticism is inhibiting the glory of entire populations made after God's image, and his anger is hot. God will do something about it. Well, why hasn't the fire come just yet? Why hasn't God come just yet to, to start burning some things up? And to set things right. For David says, by no means will you clear the guilty. But David also knows that God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. Look at verse 12, which is a warning to us. He says, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull, his violence descends. But as David is uttering these words, and as we hear them now, we know that there's still time to repent. Repentance is still... It's still the age in which we live in. There's still time for entire people groups and societies to turn around and to seek God's ways. And so while we're asking and, can, and need to continue to ask that question, where is the fire? I mean, if we are feeling the world as we need to feel it and not become numb to what's around us, we need to keep asking that question, where is the fire already? But while we are asking that question and while we are crying out to God with that question, we also need to thank El Elyon, the Most High, for his mercy. Because we may be tempted to shake our fists at what he is doing in the world because of his mercy, but we ought, but we ought to give thanks. 
for what he's doing. You're tracking with me? We ought to give thanks for what God is doing. Let me tell you another reason why. We'll be following this metaphor of lions here. Because there's an, there's an old lion. There's an old lion that is too strong for any civilization or nationalism to overcome. For the Apostle Peter says that there's a lion roaming about the earth, seeking whom he may devour. This lion seeks to devour my humanity and yours through slander. And how does he do that? He slanders God. He slanders God and he says, God is not somebody that you can trust. God's not looking after your best interests. He says that God will demand you to do things his way, and then he leaves you no choice but to somehow, with the leftovers, kind of look after your own interests. He's been doing that from the very beginning. And so he says, okay, while you're living in God's world, you know, you, you, have, to, you, you have to do some work, but just kind of do it like a lot of us do do our own work each day. Which is which way? Doing, doing the bare minimum, right? Sort of biding our time until we hopefully get to retire early and live the way that we really want, right? Some of you in this room are just waiting to get out of your house. You know, you counting those days. When's college coming, right? Just biding your time just so I can get out and just live my life the way that I want. You know, think of some of you think about some of those companies that you work for. Just, just biding your time. Yeah, I'm just... I'm just getting by, doing the bare minimum, so I can get out of here and live the way that I want. Do life my way. And you know what? The old lion, he cheers. He's happy about that. Because we, and when, we're, when we're engaged in that kind of living, and we believe this lie that God's not really looking out for us, and we won't trust him in our circumstances and what's going on, then we, what we tend to do is we willingly participate in the deadly stereotypes of slander, these words that are spread about people in their age, the gender, or the different cultures, just so we can get ahead, right? So disappointed with our own circumstances, trying to get out, thinking God's not for us, we end up participating in systems and structures of slander, and lies and criticism. Out of self-interest, we perpetuate a culture that is tangled in a web of slander, as we show by our actions that we really do believe that God does not deserve any of what we imagine or produce. His ways are not always worthy of being our ways, we're tempted to believe. And that's what the enemy wants us to believe. Especially during those times in which we have been victimized by slander. Hello. During those times in which we've been victimized by slander, we want to return it. Right? God, I know, I, know, I know the Lord said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, but I got to, man, I got to let somebody have a piece of it right now because I don't, this, is, this is terrible. And I got to give them a piece of my mind. But we end up contributing to the cycle and it never ends. It gets worse. All you got to do is just watch CNN or CNBC or whatever. There's any of these channels, you see it. It happens over and over again, right? Social media happens all the time. And it's, and it's not only among the irreligious, but it's in the church, right? Because this psalm is written to God's people. It's written to God's household. So it's assumed that, that both the wicked and the innocent are hearing this thing in, in the midst of God's assembly. This is a song right, that people are using in God's presence. How long has the church been known for gossip? 
How many people have, have their spiritual lives have been ruined? They were so close to connecting to God's benefits and to the gospel, but turned away because somebody in their house who went to church every single Sunday and had their Sunday best would come home and just gossip and gossip and gossip. How many times has the church of Christians been guilty of thinking, oh, I'm just participating in just a little friendly conversation by the coffee pot? It's gossip. And the devil laughs. He laughs. That old lion is having a good time. Because there is one harsh criticism, however, about the religious and the irreligious among us that is actually true. That criticism is that we all slander God. Everybody does it. And the enemy laughs. Because if God is true to himself, if he really is a trust, a just God, if he really is El Elyon in charge, then he has to leave us in the hole that we've dug for ourselves. He has to leave us there. Do you see now? That's, a, that's what the old lion wants. That's what he wants. He's like, oh, participate in this system that's going to get you in trouble. Believe that God is now for you, and then you're going to end up digging a hole for yourself that you can't get out of. And he laughs all the way to the bank. The enemy wants you and I radically and irreversibly dehumanized. But thank God. Thank God there was a greater lion. The lion of Judah, the descendant of David, the son of his tribe, who is destined to deliver millions who take refuge in him. Because of his mercy, the Most High El Elyon sent his son Jesus to deliver this slanderous generation. Convinced of his father's eternal love for him, Jesus set aside his glorious livelihood. He lost it all, and the slander of his own creatures was placed on him, and he suffered it. Remember at the cross when they screamed out, if he truly is the Son of God, let him save himself? How dare they? But here's that song that I love, because how dare we? That song, that old spiritual song that says, Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Where's the fire, we ask? Look at the cross. That's where the fire is. Jesus was burnt up for us. See how Jesus, the Lion of Judah, was brought low that humanity might be delivered from the plans of our enemy and be exalted. See how Christ, the Lion of Judah, accepted violence upon his name, that our names might be written on his nail-scarred hands. Thank God for his mercy. You are more than your last sin. You are more than the sum of your achievements. You are more than the shambles of your family or your culture. For God's word says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.
in just a moment, we will get the opportunity to actually run to God in the, in the face of criticism. We're going we're gonna to run to God and be embraced right at his table. And I realize that we're all here today at different levels and stages of belief. Some of us doubt, you know, whether God is really just. And some of us doubt whether God is really merciful. And I hope I spoke to that just a, a little bit this morning. And, it, and, and some of us are convinced that God is a true refuge and that he is a good ruler. But we've been slandered by the words and, and actions maybe of our parents or our close friends or the systems that I work in our society that communicate the message that you've got to earn your spot on this planet, right? You don't really belong here. You've got to earn your spot. And the way that some of us have dealt with this is by retreating into sinful or addictive behavior. We've let those lies about who we are just drive us right into destructive patterns that not only mar our own image, but also dishonor the Lord. And so in this moment, you may be deathly afraid of someone knowing who you really are. Deathly afraid. Here's something that, that's important for you to hear, especially if you're a Christian. There's a psychologist named Dr. Mark Laser. He, he says this. He says that the issue for adults, when, when it comes to getting down and deep down into our hearts, you know, God's word for us, what, like, against the slander that is, that is spoken, right? The issue is not so much sometimes that as adults, we just don't understand the gospel. We just don't understand what, uh, what the Lord is saying about us, who we are, who we really are, the dignity that we have being created in his image. The issue is not, what, you know, understanding it. Because if you focus, the issue is not the adult that's trying to understand it. It may be the wounded child within. Maybe somewhere in your past, somebody said something about you. Some system called you something, and you haven't been able to escape that. And there's somebody within you that hasn't yet met with Jesus. You can bring that child to Jesus right now. It's not too late. Because for the, for the Christian, your trajectory is eternal life, right? So you might even be in your 60s or 70s here this morning. You're thinking, there's some part of me that just really Jesus hasn't really gotten through. And so slander is still at work in driving me toward destructive behaviors. But listen, don't be ashamed because your trajectory is eternal life. So you can go to Christ right now and still be delivered, but then know that you're going to live with him forever. So it's not too late. This isn't the end. This isn't your only life. And if you need assistance on this type of thing, then I would invite you, like, during, during the time of when we come together for the Lord's Supper, we have people who are, who are prayer, prayer warriors who are on the side, right, to sit down with you and to hear you out and, to, and then to connect you to some of the, the resources. Maybe it's counseling or that sort of thing. I would encourage you to go and talk to them. Friends, hiding in God, as our refuge and as our ruler will, will absolutely transform us. Secure in Christ, criticism from others may hurt, but it won't devastate us. Secure in Christ, we refrain from returning slander at the office or on Facebook, 
but seek liberation for our oppressors. Secure in Christ, we welcome those into our community who have been abused or misused by the words of men and devils and individuals and structures. Secure in Christ, we ourselves will then risk unjust criticism from others as we seek to be faithful with the gifts and the opportunities that God has given to us as we use them to exalt others above ourselves. Friends, this is our calling. If your glory is hidden in Jesus Christ, then you are free to care for the world to the glory of his name. Amen. Let us pray. O oh God, most high, our refuge, we pray, O oh God, that you would come into our hearts and into our midst and speak against the lies that seek to destroy us and to destroy our communities and our neighbors. We ask you, O oh God, to deliver us, not because we have earned it somehow, but because it's part of your plan and because you love us deeply and generously and sacrificially. We pray, O oh God, that those who, uh, are, are, who are continuing to, to suffer economically and socially because of slander would, would experience relief and would experience a promotion that comes from your hand, O oh God. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us, that you would transform us, that we would become a people who, who participate in a culture of life instead of a culture of death. Would you help us and train us to, to use our words in a, in a right way in a way that it exalts others above ourselves and promotes love and grace in this world. Oh, Father, we need you. And we are so glad that you have supremacy over all rulers and principalities of this world. And we ask, oh God, that you would help us to do as the old saints used to say, to tell the truth and shame the devil. That you would help us to live truthfully as well as speak truthfully. And do it, help us to do it, O oh God, because uh, it, is, it is a part, it is a, a, the signpost of your future for us and for this world. Please, Lord, bring us, if there are those underneath the sound of my voice who need healing because of lies and slander spoken against them, false words, fake news, God, would you heal them? Get them into the right hands and right places where they can be ministered to by your people, by your spirit, by the resources that you have given within your good world. We pray, oh God, that you would do this. In the name of Jesus, amen.